Welcome to Her Deepest Ecologies, the podcast. I am your host, Jessica Gigo. We are at a turning point on this planet and in this country. In conversation with a wide range of artists, makers, creators, and caretakers, this podcast takes on two fundamental and interconnected questions. How do we care for ourselves and each other? How do we nurture the earth? Let's find out what these luminaries have to say. Here we are at season one, episode four of Her Deepest Ecologies. Thank you to my guests and thank you to my listeners. I have a season two in the works and that should be out in the fall, so stay tuned. Now, for this final episode, I get to talk to poet Claudia Castro Luna. I've seen her perform several times at the Skagit River Poetry Festival and she has been uh, quite a presence in the Northwest as both the inaugural Seattle Civic Poet as well as Washington State Poet Laureate. I love her work. I love her her creativity, the way she blends eco-poetics and social justice um, rather seamlessly in her poetry. And I just really enjoyed the chance to talk more with her about not only how she writes, but where she's coming from in terms of literary citizenship and the work that she does on a regional and also on a community level. And both of us are part of a project um, called Writing the Land that pairs poets with land trusts. And we were able to talk about that a bit as well and share notes um, on that new process. So there's lots of resources on the Substack page about her work if you want to find out more about her books, um, as well as her recent TED Talk called The Poetry of Place. And I hope you enjoy this conversation. Thanks for listening. The experience of being Poet Laureate was very different from the experience of being Seattle's uh, civic poet mainly because of the dimensions of place. I mean, the state is a huge, huge place to explore and to um, and to and to bring and exchange ideas through poetry. What I've discovered in in the big in that in the my work as as poet laureate is just how beautiful Washington State is and how different its ecosystems are. You know, it's just, Really, it's when you're in the Palouse, for example, where there are just these extensive grasslands and no trees or hardly any trees, right? Maybe fruit trees, but not really. There are no trees there. You get the sense that there are no trees, just this amazing um, hills that extend as far as you could see and these grasses that just bend in the wind like an ocean you your sense of place and belonging becomes it's just very different the way you experience yourself it's just sky and and land um whereas being on the western part of the state with all of the trees that we have is just a total way of understanding yourself against these mammoth beings that we share our lives with these giant trees you know 
Um, so that was a discovery for me because I did not know um, parts of Washington that I traveled through. Just also the the northern, um, the northeast part of the state felt like me like a television set, like stuff I'd seen in nature shows, but never really lived in. Like this vast mountain uh, mountains in the distance and these amazing valleys. Just the different ways in which land gets used, you know, um, how you see cattle and ranching and you see wheat fields and then you see the apples and all the fruiting trees, that whole mega industry, apple industry that we have along the Columbia River. And so it was just a discovery of that um, and how communities organize themselves around those particular extractive industries because a lot of it has to do with extraction of of resources right of natural resources and so um just to really to see how people and communities organize themselves around that and and how power relationships surface then in those communities um you know in Wenatchee and that whole that whole central Washington state where so much of the apple production goes in a huge large population that harvest those apples are Latino immigrants and others as well not exclusively but the overwhelming majority and yet they're not the people whom you see in in power positions right so I'm always interested in the relationships of power not not only between people but also with the natural world with the with the trees and the little critters and the animals so to see how varied those things play out throughout the state was um was interesting to me it was also interesting to see how many poetry communities there are in the state i did not know that um but we have a really robust poetry communities and of course because i'm speaking of poetry because that was my job as the poet laureate so that's was kind of my interaction and Everywhere I went, I mean, the Okanagan, Twisp area, there's really robust poetry there. Olympia and that whole Pierce County corridor. I mean, just everywhere there's people interested in in the word, you know, in the careful um, thinking about and organizing words on a page, which means that they're really keenly observing their environments, because to be to write, you have to really notice the world around you. So all those poetry communities means that there are people across Washington who are really noticing their their worlds um, and writing about them. And that was really an amazing an amazing thing for me to discover. I mean, so there are lots of things that unite us. And there are things that separate us in Washington state. And um, of course, terrain being one of them with the mountains and the, and the oceans that we have and on the rivers that we have, all those um, natural occurrences that we have to traverse, right? Separate us. Um, but there are things that also bring us together the word, poetry, understanding and appreciation of landscape, too. Um, yeah. At the city level, I think 
is different because this was an entirely urban experience to be the civic poet of Seattle, super the most dense and most urban of all the spaces in the state. And so those things that surface are different. My my hope for that, what my work there really was focused on, on um, highlighting communities that um, in the city whose who's, who have immigrant experiences like myself and whose uh, members are not English speakers. I really wanted to highlight that because I, I think, I mean, that's true across the state. There are immigrant communities, but here in the city, because we're closer and rubbing elbows against each other, it, it perhaps becomes more noticeable. And I wanted um, with that map that I did for the city of Seattle to to really hope that we could understand each other on an equal footing. You know, maps are funny things with respect to representations of place because maps are flat. They are two-dimensional pieces of paper, right? Now, digital maps, they show depth and height and all of that, but a paper map is a flat uh, thing. And so I really wanted the words from different people in the city to be on the same flat surface. So there wouldn't be relationships of power necessarily. So the like the map doesn't have any uh, biographical description of the contributors because I didn't want people to say, oh, you know that she's, you know, I don't know. Swedish. And that's why, you know, they started, they wrote about that. Do you know what I mean? I didn't want those um, kind of understandings and biases that we have to, to, to influence the way in which we encounter a poem, a poem on, on the map. That's also true of the Washington state map, which is another purposely flat um, kind of representation of the state, except for the words on the page, of course. Um, yeah. I mean, I feel like you've done so much great work bringing people together. And I'm just curious in your own writing process, you know, and you said it, you said Washington is a beautiful place and I agree. And I, I feel torn sometimes because I want to just write about that beauty and I struggle with that because there's so many stories and complexities of the human experience and the broader narrative of what's happening to the earth as a whole, <laughs> which is not a good, you know, not a pretty picture. And I find when I'm trying to write poetry, you know, I feel a little bit irresponsible if I'm just writing to the beauty. But at the same time, I feel like when I try to force in um, environmental justice and social justice issues into a creative work. If it doesn't fit naturally, the poem doesn't work. Mm -hmm. But I, as a poet, you know, what, what do you feel like is your responsibility in terms of representation, in terms of writing to our current environmental moment? I mean, does that overshadow your writing process? Oh, God, that's such a good question. I don't know. I think that I want to be witness to the times in which I live and I am my filter, like I said before, is I'm constantly looking at relationships of power and um, 
so that is already sort of how I the lens through which I'm writing so inevitably you know these contradictions and difficulties and politics to an extent by this I don't mean Republican Democrat but just the just the way in which we engage in decision making in the collective surface they enter the poems and it's super difficult to navigate those two as you say I mean I think it's a it's a struggle and there's a lot of craft decisions have to be made minute as well as big craft decisions in the navigating of writing a poem because if it's very forced then it feels propagandish and we're not um you know I think that both of us are not interested in, in writing things that are didactic or that may come across as I don't know propagandish maybe maybe didactic is a better word uh we're not to shake our fingers at people who are reading the poems, right? But rather for them to come into some understanding of their own consciousness and sense of moral compass as to what they're going to do based on encountering the words that we have put on the page. So it, it, it's a constant, it's it's a difficult, it's a difficult thing to navigate. It just I don't know. I don't know how to best describe that. I've scratched poems that to me feel too didactic. And I feel that I lean, I fall in that camp. And when I read them back, I think, oh, no, this is, I, I don't want to be admonishing people. I think, I think on the other hand, singing to the beauty of a place is, if that's all we did, then that wouldn't be enough, in my opinion, because it's all, all of it. You know, like I always say, our peace in the United States is the is um, the result of wars elsewhere, right? We ha- we live a peaceful existence, but it comes at the cost of others living in terrible wars and other horrible armed conflicts. Um, so just singing to the beauty of this a peaceful place would be a mistake, given that if you dig deeper, you'd see all the complexities. And so I would say, yeah, we have to sing to what our spirits see, which is the, you know, the beauty in the everyday. But I don't know that that's, that's not, like you yourself said, that's not all there is to it. That's just one part of it. That's just one part of it. Yeah, I I have to say, I think for me, you know, the the questions that are sort of behind this podcast, you know, I, I've always kind of asked the question of how do we nature nurture the earth? How do we nurture the earth? And, you know, my path through science has been trying to figure that out. But I feel like without the other question of how do we take care of ourselves and each other, we won't actually solve the first question. <laughs> um, yeah. And... But I'm finding that just challenging creatively and also socially. How do you really talk about what's going on right now in our world? I mean, you mentioned the apple trees and then the people that are actually harvesting the apples. I mean, there's such a deep, complex story there. So as a poet, you know, how far do you dig to really portray what's happening in that beautiful apple field? (laughs) Or even in the beautiful apples that get produced, right? I mean... I don't know. I I think that we have to dig, dig, keep on digging and being open to our own, to our own understandings of things. 
right? I mean, you know, I may tend to, I think we all err on particular, in particular ways. Um, and, and it's hard to keep an even eye. It's hard to, to sing about the beauty and also about the complexities of it and all, all of the things that go into making that beauty be what it is, right? I mean, we're looking at a beautiful landscape that feels like it hasn't been touched by anything, you know, just sun and water. And um, and like I said, you know, there are <laughs> there are other places that are completely bombed out, right, in the world. We're not we're not separate because we live here in the Northwest doesn't mean that we're not also tethered to um you know um immigrants in the heartland of Mexico, you know, who are the, who, there are programs in the state that bring people from the heartlands, remote areas in Mexico to come and harvest those apples. We are, and, we, and then we find ourselves living here, sharing this geopolitical space called Washington state. So it's not, we are so tethered to other peoples in other parts of the world. I, I think I keep on pointing to that, like, it's not just us here. It's it's us and the world, um, and and like you said, you know, in order to take care of the earth, we need to take care of, of people too, uh, because we're all connected. Um, so, yeah, yeah, I do feel like writers and poets specifically are kind of the voices that we need to be hearing from to remind us of what else is happening in the world too and how that connects. I think sometimes those connections aren't as obvious. Do you feel mm -hmm. like, I feel like that comes up in your work and just even what you're saying here now is like, how do we make those connections and not live in our isolated peaceful world <laughs> and write about the trees and forget about how connected we all are both in, you know, what we have and what we're losing. Yes, absolutely. I think, I think it's, you know, when you were talking about poetry and you said, I've, I've had two poets on the podcast, I thought to myself, I get all my news from poets. <laughs> I get everything I know comes from reading poetry um, because because as poets and writers, we're constantly complicating things. And um, yeah, yeah, I think poets like and that. writers complicate matters and and lift the curtain um, to show the interrelatedness of things. I think that's where we have to dwell to see that the connections exist beyond what we could observe with our senses. Mm. And I think poetry gets at that like nothing else. Yeah. Yeah, I'm curious. I know you're a, a teacher and a mother. You do you do lots of things, Claudia. It's really amazing. Um, but I'm curious, when did you first identify as a poet and a writer? How did that come up for you in your life? Oh, um, I think I knew that it was long. It was. It took me a long time to understand that, Jessica. That's a really good question. It took me a long time um, because I didn't think I could do it, but my, my heart and my intention was always in that direction. Um, 
but I was already a mother. I mean, when I was in all along, all my life, I've published things. I've written things and and wanted others to read this. So things got published here and there, but very irregularly. And I knew that something called me to to write. I mean, I, I knew that. It was like this very strong yearning and this very strong voice. I taught at a high school for um, some time in California, and it was a huge high school, 2,000 students. I know there's bigger high schools than that, but for me, that was ginormous. It was really a campus, huge in the in, in this Redwood Hills. It was quite beautiful. And it was one of those California schools where the buildings are spread out because, it, you know, it, rather than being all in one building to protect from, to heat it and protect from rain and so on, this was really open. So the corridors were open and it, it was quite spread out. And I taught in the foreign languages area of the school, but I found myself in the English wing of the school, which was across campus. And there students had drawn murals on some of the walls. And coming back from, I don't know, from some meeting, I came upon this mural of um, Shakespeare big mural on the side of a building that said that had the caption to thine own self be true and i just couldn't move i stopped in the in the hallway and i thought was speaking directly to me and i thought to myself i'm not being true to myself i love teaching but this is not what i want to be doing what i want to be doing is writing and I think it was from that moment that then I started, I took classes at a community college and poetry classes at a community college and really then decided this is what I'm meant to be doing. So I, I really started at night. Um, Berkeley City College offered an AA in poetry. And I thought, I'm going to get an AA in poetry. That's like something worthy. That to me seemed like I still want an AA in poetry. I didn't finish it because I then went and did an MFA in poetry. But I really thought the idea of a, of a community college offering a degree in poetry was fabulous. And I, I wanted to, to achieve that, you know. Um, but it was a very conscious decision then at that point because I was the mom of um, two kids. I have three but I already had two children and I had a full-time job and, you know, it was a family decision for me then to say, I'm going to go and, and write because this is really what I feel I need to be doing. Um, and so once I made that choice, though, I never have done anything else. It's It was obviously the right thing to do from the point of view of my um, my spirit, my myself as a as a person I never regretted that or the world unfolded for me in a different way and I understood myself in a different way once I made that choice hmm. wow wow Shakespeare who knew <laughs> yeah Shakespeare all those years after <laughs> yeah no that's a really interesting story though but that it's interesting that you um started at night and then it was something that sort of s slowly grew for you over time is what it sounds like yeah, I mean, I knew that once I started the classes, it was obvious to me that that is what I was meant to do. And the classes weren't enough for me. It just, I needed more. Then at that point, I thought, 
I I will I I grew the it was too limiting. I wanted classes all day long. You know, I wanted to be in thinking about poetry and writing poetry as much as I could, not just once a week or twice a week in the evenings. So yeah, that's great. I um I did notice. Are you doing the writing the land program? Uh, through Centrum or I thought I saw your picture on. It's called Writing the Land, and it's where poets are linked. Oh yes, land yes, trust. I'm, I am. I'm doing I am. that as well, and I'm just curious where what, what land what where, what land or land preserve oh. are you working with? Yeah, I got assigned to um, a land trust in Bainbridge Island. Oh, cool. Yeah, and I went and visited the. It's just a new parcel they've they've acquired and yeah I was I'm teaching a class on trees for Hugo House this is I think my fourth time teaching the class and I'm really for myself I'm using I'm hoping to use this time when we're thinking about trees and I'm teaching about that to write these poems um for this project which is amazing that's where, where what's your land where's your parcel it's actually it's the port susan bay preserve which is a nature conservancy um restoration site so they um it's just south of stanwood and um like 10 years ago they were able to purchase farmland and move the dike back and start to restore the estuary and i i actually had visited 10 years ago but i just went back for the first time and the Stillaguamish tribe has bought the next parcel of farmland, so they're actually going to be able to move the dike back even further. Um, so it's sort of an ongoing restoration site. Um, and so I'm, I've been there twice, and it's it's a bit hard, you know, saying, okay, now write a, <laughs> write a poem about this place. Uh, and I am, I'm also trying to incorporate, you know, the human element of it, even though I, you know, I haven't run into very many people when I've been out there. Um, but I, and and tell the story too of you know what was this land before it was farmland and how is it going back and I've been trying to talk to some of the scientists and I'd like to speak to you know representatives from the Stillaguamish tribe too again to try to create a a poem that's creative but also that I think is informed by multiple perspectives on the place it's a lot harder than I thought I don't know how your writing's going but I'm struggling. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's hard. It is hard because we, I mean, I have to catch a ferry and go and it's not actually the parcel that I'm interested in isn't yet open to the public. So I needed somebody to drive me there. Um, but they were, they gave me a lot of materials about it. And um, yeah, but it's not, it's, it's hard, isn't it? To go into a project like that. Yeah. You know, going back to this idea that you asked me about Washington State and what I discovered, that was the other piece I meant to say about Native peoples, right? That, you know, Native Americans make, I think, 1% of the population of Washington State now, currently. And settlers came here, what, at the a little bit over 100 years ago. That seems so stark to me. In a hundred, a little bit, not even 150 years, they've gone from being really who inhabited this place to being 1% of the population of the state. 
that was really striking. And it was striking to see the, um, the remoteness of the reservations, you know, not, not the ones here on the big metropolitan belt, um, like the Malkashoot and all, all of all essentially those who have access to I-5, the big, the big freeway, but just the lands like the Colville reservation. I mean, that's the Colville is the confederated tribes, right? So there's, I think, seven or nine tribes. I mean, it's huge amount of terrain, but so remote and um, just lacking just the history there, the separation <clears throat> from natural resources that gave meaning um, and were sources of nourishment, of all kinds of nourishment, actual physical nourishment, but spiritual nourishment, cultural nourishment, and the separation from that to, to where they live now. I mean, and just the beginning to see the tip of the iceberg of that loss there was tremendous for me. Um, yeah, that's another thing that I, that I experienced and, and saw in my travels as the, as the laureate. Mm. Well, that's great that you were able to get out to those places too. I mean, that's such a, a gift. Yeah. I'm just curious if you would be interested in reading a poem. Um, yeah, I could read. So let's see. I'm trying to think of the new book. If there is a there is a moment in this book, which is so much based in um my experience of coming to this country. So it's it's got that history. But let me see. I was just reading one of yours the other day at a farmer's market and it was, I think it's called farmer's market. That oh, yes. Really a, my mom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I could, I mean, that's the type of work that happens. That's completely a moment of, those are the moments that we experience in the city, right? That's part of what I wanted to highlight as the as when I was the civic poet of Seattle is that we are constantly living in multiple places at, at the same time. I mean, we may be physically in one place, but mentally we are completely elsewhere. So there's iterations of time and space that happen as we move in our everyday lives. And that poem is about, yeah, I'm at a farmer's market. We have one here in West Seattle. I'm I'm a big fan of farmer's markets. I have been for eons. And how a moment like that really is transportative to some other place. So you are there fixed. Your body's fixed in this place, but your mind and your heart is somewhere miles and miles away. And, you know, and then the connections that get made. Um, right. I'm, I'm your friend. I, I, you, we know each other professionally. We know each other as colleagues and therefore in the way in which things are linked or anybody that reads the poem then suddenly becomes tethered also to this elsewhere that I'm writing about. And in that way, I think poetry is so amazing. Like we were talking before at making us see the connectedness of ourselves to other places and and beings, not just, you know, our circles, our familiar circles. 
Um, so yeah, I could read that. That poem is called, I think, let me see. I think it's called Farmer's Market. Yeah. Yeah. Let's see. Oh, here it is. Yeah. Should I read that one? Yeah. Um, and no, what, not what, at all. What not at is, all. What book is that one in? That is in... That's uh, that's um, in the city. In the... Great. Farmer's Market. I go early to hear the citrus tales of pomelos and satsumas in January, discuss the snap with favas in May, have a word with a merchant without saying anything, hold a coin bag in one hand and with the other chat with an unsuspecting tomato. Market speak is the language of being a girl walking with my mother down narrow lanes in the mercado, sweat streaming brow, dogs impatient weaving between legs, stealthy robbers articulating sneak, sellers shouting incantations to buy this cure-all remedy, and for a bargain, una mano, all the fruit that could fit in the palm of your hand, at every turn, my local farmer's market betrays the one I long for. The mercado I search lives dormant, a tiny seed rhyming festive and mom inside my heart. Hmm. I love hearing you read. I don't think I've ever heard you read that one. That was really lovely. Well, thank you for the opportunity. And for inviting me, it's such an honor. When you invited me, I thought, oh, how wonderful. I'm so glad that we made it work. Yeah, well, thank you. I mean, I'm I'm the one that's honored and, and frankly a little nervous, but I'm getting over it because I really just admire everything that you do. <laughs> and um, one tiny question, which is a big question, is, you know, what is bringing you hope right now in your writing about the earth and about each other? I think that there is an awareness. It feels to me like the work that people have been doing, um, not just poets, but scientists who have taken up creative writing to tell the importance of their stories. I feel like those stories are getting across more and more. You know, I, I was reading recently that there's an MFA. Somewhere there's an MFA for people who are train a scientist to be able to write creatively, to talk about um, in an expressive way, maybe their, their very, their discoveries and their, and their research. And I think that there are more people um, because of this material is coming from different places. I, I want to say that more of us are understanding that we are not alone, that we really are part of communities and that really we have to be responsible for each other and not just for each other humans, for other humans, but also for other living things. Um, I'm hopeful. And I think poetry for me is at the vanguard of creating those spaces, you know, um, spoken poetry, but also the kind of poetry, you know, that gets published in books. So um, that, that gives me hope. That gives me hope. I, I sometimes I feel really defeated. I have to say, with respect to the environment, I just think, oh, we're a long way from really getting um, doing what we need to do, and maybe we're just humans are not very good at seeing 
not all humans, some of us. I think that other humans have shown us that there is a way of, of uh, being um, coexisting in productive ways with a natural environment rather than using it as an extracting endless pool of you know, resources, right, that transform into money and commodifying natural resources that then just destroy this world that we all uh, take part in. So I, I don't know. I think I'm hopeful that there's more awareness in the world. And the more the the work of poets and other creatives to point that out, I think it's, it, it, we may not feel it immediately, but I think that there that there is, um, you know, it's contributing to hopefully to us taking ownership and being better stewards of the places we live in. Thank you for listening to Her Deepest Ecologies, the podcast. For more information on our guests, please visit the Substack page for photos, complete bios, links mentioned in our conversation, and more. These interviews were recorded at Jack Straw Cultural Center in Seattle, Washington. Thanks to sound engineer Ayesha for all of her help. Episodes were edited at my farm in the Skagit Valley, Harmony Fields.